Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter account. Okay, today is Friday, August 11th. Uh, great show today. Got Brian Scheibel from Buffs Beat. Uh, going to talk from Buffs Beat, uh, an article for uh, Sports Illustrated. He's going to talk to us about um, all things Colorado leaving Pac-12, and then we're going to talk to him a lot about the conference realignments as well going on, and uh, just great interview with him overall. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit with ourselves too, guys, but um, before we get into that, how about the women's national team? Uh, betting favorites going into the tournament and uh, in the first round of the knockout stages. What do you guys uh what do you guys make of this early exit for the women's team here? Major upset that the women's team went through. I mean, they, they were upset after their early exit. I mean, just wasn't uh, – they, they didn't have the right chemistry this time around than they did the previous two times that they won. Yeah, yeah I don't know what happened this year because they went the last 283 minutes of play and the, they scored one goal in three games. Like after the opening game, they won three, nothing against Vietnam. You could even see then that there were some warning signs because Vietnam wasn't all that great. And the U S missed a lot of scoring chances in that game. So then you have two draws. And after the, the one that got them into the knockout round, they're celebrating like they did something, which they didn't. They were very lucky to get to the knockout stage. And then once they got to the knockout stage, they couldn't put the ball in the net, even though they played probably their best game in the tournament. And then you have, Megan Rapino going far right, ironically, on the uh, the penalty kick there. But yeah, <laughs> wow. Sick. I mean, th- this this team. I-, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the collective arrogance that they showed. I don't know if it was just the inability to score, which I know in soccer isn't quite as prevalent as it is in other sports. But you still have to score in order to win. But the chemistry of this team just was not there from the very beginning. Uh, their defense was it was fine, but their offense, you, you got to score at some point if you're going to win yeah. some of these games. Like This is the earliest exit ever for the U.S. women's national team. They've yep. never been bounced in the round of 16 before. It, it's a big disappointment. There is no other way to put it. I don't want to hear anybody talk about participation trophies. I don't want to hear anybody say this team made everybody proud. Like If you're going to give this – if you're going to criticize men – for struggling and underachieving, you got to criticize the women for underachieving yep. too, because that's exactly what they did. Both uh, both men and women now seem to be kind of on the lower totem pole of soccer in, in America. <laughs> but yeah, it was interesting. I mean, we had nine players return from last year's World Cup, but we also had 14 new players mm-hmm. uh, make their World Cup debut. So it was, it was kind of a mix between veterans and new players at the same time. And maybe that was kind of the reason too, just – uh, a, a weird melting pot of, you know, veteran and uh, younger players as well. Um, but yeah, some more stats as well. Just earliest exit by uh, the U.S. team, like you said, Sack, but then earliest exit uh, by a reigning champion also. Yep. Um, four goals scored in the entire tournament, 14 USA. I mean, their defense was good. Offense, like you said, Zach, couldn't really get anything into the net. Um, it was the fewest all-time single world world cup all-time like fewest goals in a single world i mean that's that seems pretty amazing to me that they they had the, the fewest goals goals ever scored in a world cup before yeah. by any team 
um, and scoreless in consecutive times, consecutive games in the Women's World Cup history for America as well. So, yeah, definitely just bad stats overall for the, for the team. Like I said, mixture of veterans, young players. I know coaching woes was also kind of a struggle that they were dealing with this World Cup. Um, much like the men's team, um, their head coach made some questionable subbing decisions that may have cost the U.S. the, the last match um, that they played. Um but yeah, just just overall, um, just heading home, heading home too early, and uh, yeah, just any any last minute thoughts you guys have before we before we move on? There's not I much think, else to say. I think you said it right. As far as the mix between old and young, I just think this team might have gotten uh, the wrong situation where you had the older people like Alex Morgan. Like Alex Morgan's still good, but Megan Rapinoe, every time she was on the field, every time she was on the pitch it was a lost opportunity for America because Megan Rapinoe is just not the same player anymore. And that was shown repeatedly. And I know she's become a lightning rod for a lot of people, but we won't get into that. But you, you look at, yeah, the younger team, there's a lot of young talent there. Like Trinity Rodman, I think is going to be very good, but you had kind of, you kind of had the cross between that and the veteran players and it just did not mesh well. I think coaching was a big problem. And I think Carly Lloyd was spot on with her, uh, analysis of this team as far as you know there was some collective arrogance there was some you know celebrating like they did something after they tied in the uh the last game to get to the knockout round and she said the chemistry of this team just wasn't there they were worried about other things than trying to win the world cup and i think that showed repeatedly throughout the tournament yeah i know um i know they were they got criticized a bunch of times for being more interested in repping their brand and like increasing their brand mm-hmm. awareness than they actually yep. were winning games. And uh, like you said, Zach, that, that was one of uh, Lloyd's biggest point that she brought up. And you mentioned uh, Trinity Rodman too, super young, obviously daughter of um, Rodman. <laughs> the legend, legendary, Rodman. Yeah. The legendary Rodman. Um, but uh, yeah, that's another coaching decision that I think was really questionable when they played Sweden. Uh, they, they subbed her out. Uh, late in the game, and she's arguably as young as she is. She's arguably the best ball striker that the team has. So I know the coach uh, was getting a lot of, um, you know, flack for doing that as well. Yep. My only other takeaway I have um, from this World Cup was just like the men. Uh, this was the first year that the women had an expansion. Uh, they had more teams entering than they did in the past. I think uh, I forget the exact amount of total number of teams, but. Uh, just not only that, but just the gap between the top teams and the lower teams is definitely shortening as well. And so this might, I, unless the woman can figure out something in the next four years, this might be the end of uh, U.S. women's team's dominance because more teams entering, it's any, it's becoming more of anyone's game, anyone's tournament, especially in soccer. And like I said, that gap is definitely uh, you know shortening between the top teams and the lower tier teams. Yeah, the rest of the world is caught up. Let's see if this is kind of like the 04 Olympic team for like the 04 basketball Olympic team. Remember, the USA dominated and has continued to dominate since, but that team just had no chemistry whatsoever. They were not put well together, and the coaching was not very good that year, and they ended up losing to Manu Ginobili in Argentina in the uh, semifinals. They ended up winning the bronze medal, but 
that's obviously a collective disappointment if you're an American team. But ever since that time, they've gone on and dominated uh, the Olympics ever since. So yep. I wonder if this is kind of the crossroads that that team had to face. Are we going to get the redeemed team for the soccer team in four years? Or is this going to be a long-term thing where the rest of the world is caught up to them and America's days of dominance are over? Only time will tell. Well, really, I mean, you could argue that a, a woman caught up to the rest of the world I mean, yeah. f- f- with soccer, anyhow. I mean, it's really the woman that caught up to everyone else, and now they're kind of getting back to back to level ground a little bit. Um, every other sport, every, people are catching up to us, but when it comes to soccer, we're definitely catching up to everyone else. And Yeah, our best but, athletes don't play soccer. They play basketball yeah. or well, baseball. That, that's, that's why, I mean, that's they always say that. That's, they cite that's why the men's team struggles so much because true. you know everyone else is uh going up playing other things and mm-hmm. you know, they just don't really play soccer so yep. much. um well uh we'll switch gears now college sports realignment huge news uh this really the last month it's been happening uh but last week was probably the biggest week that people were start- starting to turn heads and talk about this uh like I said, we have Brian Scheibel coming on in a little bit. Uh, we talk a lot to him about – we talked a lot to him about this in general. But um, just – I mean, we'll just kind of do a brief overview, kind of like a um, prelude into the interview with him. But, yeah, changing of the college landscape for sure. Years of, tra- years of tradition being thrown out the window um, in an effort for schools to maximize their money-making – um, you know, TV deals driving all this uh, college conference realignments. Um, just kind of a, as a summary, biggest moves, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah joining Colorado in the Big 12, Oregon and Washington joining the Big 10, uh, Stanford, Washington State, Oregon State, and Cal still in the dying Pac-12, which we'll get to that in a little bit. Pac-4, baby. Yeah, Pac-4 now. <laughs> yeah, Or might be the Western Conference. Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll see. But yeah, uh, Big 12 trying to be that tier three conference. ACC also really struggling. We'll see what happens to them. But um, yeah, I mean, we'll start with the Big Ten, guys. Uh, We'll just kind of go through the conferences here. Um, In the past few years, have gained USC, UCLA, Oregon, and now Washington. Oregon and Washington now. They definitely have a national presence and will most likely end up being one of those top two uh, conferences as we're talking, or even top three, but at least if not you know, top two. Yeah, there's no question they're in the top two. They might even be top one as far as money and revenue and all that kind of stuff. The Big Ten going out and getting Oregon and Washington is big. And I think it was inevitable the day that USC and UCLA made the decision to go to the Big Ten because they needed some traveling West Coast partners. And so Oregon and Washington give them that. And you look at the brands that the Big Ten now has, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA. That's not even to mention like Wisconsin, which is typically pretty good. I don't know if they can match the SEC as far as star power, but at the very top, it's pretty good if you're the Big Ten. And they basically killed off the Pac-12. And the fact of the matter is the Pac-12 did this to themselves. They had chances to merge in 2021 with the Big 12. They had a chance to grab Texas and Oklahoma back in 2010. They didn't do it. And the Pac-12 ends up being the one that got killed because they would not take advantage of the opportunities in front of them. Their last commissioner, Larry Scott, screwed them as far as the television deal. The Pac-12 network wasn't available to anybody, so nobody knew it existed. And then George Kaliakoff was slow at the wheel while the Big 12 commissioner, Brett Yormark, was going out and getting a television deal. And yep. so the Pac-12 
ultimately failed leadership is what did it to them. Not making the playoff on the field. They haven't done it since 2016 and irrelevance off the field because nobody can find their television network and they just don't stand out the way that the Big Ten, the SEC, some of these other conferences do. That's why the Pac-12 is on its deathbed. Yeah, they were trying to make a deal with Apple TV, um, as you were kind of alluding to, Zach. Yeah, and you that, can't just that, go all streaming. You still need yeah. a linear deal. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, we'll talk to Brian about that as well. But, uh, you know, in that interview, we talk about just Pac-12 has basically three options now. Either uh, try to bring in teams. So Mountain West, I think, would be one of the biggest uh uh, drive, uh, you know, one of the biggest contenders to be able to join the Pac-12. They would just completely rebrand themselves, uh, kind of like we were saying, make them the Mountain West or just the, the West Coast Conference, excuse me, or just completely diminish altogether. And it sounds like, Zach, you're more in the way that they're, they might just kind of vanish and just diminish into nothing. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, cause I kind of, I'm kind of on that. Um, I kind of think that this is the end for the Pac-12. I don't really see them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, rectifying the situation whatsoever. But yeah, prior prior to adding Oregon and Washington, Big Ten was actually planning to do away with their East and West divisions. Um, now, obviously, with this these this news of Oregon and Washington coming in, they might have to rethink that a little bit. But um, yeah, it, it definitely um, would protect certain rivalries in the Big uh, Big Ten, but in, encourage a, a healthy rotation of opponents as well. And I. So I like the Big Ten, what they're doing. And, you know, we, we say that the, the big two conferences going forward, you know, one of them will be Big Ten and then the other will most likely be SEC. But Right, it'll um, probably be the SEC and yeah. the Big Ten. But should there be an Eastern Conference and a Western Conference, like in the NBA? Mm-hmm. I, I I think that's the way it's going. But it is looking like it's just going to be the SEC and the Big Ten with uh yeah. with the two conferences but i definitely agree that big 10 is i think even more of a powerhouse than sec because sec might be better in football but i think big 10 is more rounded overall in the other sports like especially basketball so uh yeah i think big 10 actually might end up being one of the, the biggest conference here even over the sec music but, well, to my ears as a big yeah. 10 guy that's music to my ears but the yeah. big 10 now has something that the sec doesn't and that's a national presence where the Big Ten now has, obviously, the Midwest, where most of their programs are. But they've got a presence on the East Coast with Maryland and Rutgers. And now they've got a presence on the West Coast with USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington. So there's going to be national interest in the Big Ten the way that there isn't in any other conference right now. Yeah, and after this deal, uh, we'll move on to the SEC now. SEC is probably one of the last conferences that really holds on to somewhat of a regionality. Uh, really the only conference anymore that holds on to any kind of regionality. Uh, maybe ACC as well, but we'll we'll get to them. I mean, they're they're looking into adding Stanford and uh, Cal, which obviously would kind of you know do away with that regionality. But yeah, SEC, you know, we well I, we already talked about them a little bit, kind of breezed by them. They were seen as a dominant force, uh, especially after adding Texas and Oklahoma. But uh, Big Big Ten making some new uh, making some moves back, and yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting kind of head and head battle going on between the two to, to be the dominant force in college sports but yeah we'll move on the big 12 uh potentially the the third of the big three if 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 there will be three there might only be two but um has made progress so far i mean in the, in the past couple of years they definitely have made progress to compete with the sec and the big 10 uh they made up for the loss of texas and oklahoma you know they included byu cincinnati usf and houston and then obviously they just added on arizona arizona state and utah um also so 
Um, what do you guys just overall like knee jerk reactions about Big Ten or Big Twelve? Anything you guys want to say about them? Uh, you know, their ability to compete with the Big Ten and SEC, or are they just going to be kind of a a tier, a lower tier on their own uh, underneath the SEC and Big Ten? Yeah, you got to give a lot of credit to Brett Yormark because he mm-hmm. lost his two biggest brands, Texas and Oklahoma, and you can't totally replace what Texas and Oklahoma bring to the table, but he's done a pretty good job because you get UCF, which has been a program that over the last decade has been um, the best program probably in the group of five because, I mean, they've had a couple of undefeated seasons. You talk about Cincinnati, a, a team that actually made the playoff in 2021. They had Houston. They had uh, BYU. <laughs> I slipped on BYU for a second. Uh, but they added BYU, and you know, this is a conference that, from a football perspective, it's probably going to be the most entertaining conference in the country because there isn't that one powerhouse. There isn't an Alabama. There isn't an Ohio State. There isn't a even, like, USC Closer that stands games. out above everybody else. Like, there's a lot of good programs like Oklahoma State, TCU, Baylor. They're going to be good on a regular basis. So I think it's going to kind of be a back-and-forth conference. But I'll tell you what, from a basketball perspective, my goodness, the Big 12, the last couple of years, they've had Baylor win the national title, Kansas win the national title. Now you add in some more basketball brands. Houston, Arizona. Yeah, Houston, Arizona. I mean, those are two programs that yep. Houston was a one seed last year, Arizona was a two seed, and Arizona was a one a couple of years ago. The Big 12 basketball games are just going to be incredible. And so I think the Big 12 did about as good of a job as they could. It's not as powerful as having Texas and Oklahoma. Nothing replaces them. But Brett Yormark did about as good of a job as he could possibly do. Yeah, speaking about basketball, just my own personal plug being from West Virginia. I mean, <laughs> there you go. Big, Big 12 getting stronger as West Virginia's basketball program is probably getting worse and worse as the years go on, especially with the news yeah. of Bob Huggins recently. So now you got Cincinnati. You actually have somewhere a place to go that's somewhat in mm-hmm. your vicinity, as opposed to you know the entire Big Twelve being over here and yeah. West Virginia being over here. Yeah, yeah, no, it's um, yeah, no, definitely, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, we talked about the Pac-12 already. Uh, I'm not going to go into that anymore. We kind of beat them to death. Um, just bad management overall. They have three options, and we're, I think they're just going to end up dissolving and not really uh, expanding or merging, or they're just going to kind of fall into nothing. And then we'll we'll kind of breeze through ACC a little bit. Like I said, talk to Brian in a little bit about the ACC as well. But, um, yeah, look, in the, um, look Clemson, FSU trying to leave the SEC, uh, uh, ACC, excuse me. Uh, ACC would try to replace them by bringing in um, Stanford and Cal. I know Notre Dame is really pushing for her, Stanford and Cal to join, even though Notre Dame is technically independent in football. Um, I think my biggest question for you guys would be is, what do you think Notre Dame's going to end up coming doing with all this realignment going on? Do you think they have any chance to stay independent? I don't think they have a chance now, especially with all this realignment. I think their their independence is going to dwindle. Yeah. I think they're probably going to have to join the Big Ten. Probably, probably will join the Big Ten, Big even Ten. though Stanford and basically their biggest rivals are not yet in the Big Ten. But I think Notre Dame might have. Do you think why, their Big biggest Ten. rivals in the Big Ten? That's USC. Yeah, that's you right. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that? Why not the AC? Why would they not join the ACC? Yeah, they're they're contractually obligated to do that. I think if the next three years, if they ever chose to relinquish their independence, they would have to go to the ACC. 
But yeah. again, then again, lawyers are going to be pretty busy and, you know, nothing mm-hmm. as far as contracts are concerned really matters anymore. So they could probably get out of that pretty quickly. Yeah. But I do think Notre Dame is going to keep their independence as long as they can. But I think in the next five years, they're probably going to have to join a conference because I think the money revenue gap is just going to be too stark. I mean, NBC just signed the Big Ten for a Saturday night package, and they're making about $15, $20 million more than Notre Dame is on its own. So I think the Fighting Irish, at some point, they're going to have to relinquish their independence. I don't think it's going to be immediately. And if nothing else, not only are they going to do it from a money standpoint, but right now as it stands, if the playoff doesn't change, which I think it's going to, but the top six seeds would be, or the, the six automatic teams in the playoff are the six highest ranked conference champs. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame cannot get a first round bye. Even if they were to go undefeated, shut everybody out all year, the best they could do is be the number five seed. So, from a competitive standpoint, it probably hurts them to be independent. So, I think they're going to have to make that decision at some point. I think in the next five to 10 years, Notre Dame will be in a conference, probably the Big Ten. And you got you can always buy out contracts too. I mean, you, you yeah. said Zach how they would be obligated in the next three years that join the eight because they're already in the ACC with every other sport besides football and hockey. Uh, they're in the Big Ten in hockey. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, Arizona uh, State was in the Big Ten in hockey, which I found surprising. That always that always shuts me up when a school is in multiple different conferences uh, by different sports. That's always kind of I'm just so used to one, which is you know 95 percent of the time that usually is how it is, but. It's just so weird hearing a school every once in a while that's, you know, in some sports in one conference and then another sport is in a different conference. It just always kind of trips me up. But, but yeah, no, Notre Dame, uh, I think we'll definitely have to join eventually. It's going to be the small guy versus the big guy soon scenario, and they're going to pretty much have no choice but to join a conference. Only other thing I have about the ACC, I know they're trying to, SMU is trying to get in. Um yeah. They seem pretty desperate, to be honest. I, I think the, the, the word coming out is that they're willing to bypass $150 million of revenue over a five-year span just to be able to join the ACC. Uh, so they're basically just saying, you know, we're so desperate to get out of this mess and join a conference that, um, you know, we'll hold off earning for like five, seven years, the first five, seven years that we're in the conference just to be able to join the conference. So We want to be uh, in the Power Five so badly. We want the recognition that we'll pay yeah. to do it which yeah, is they insane get, they wouldn't get the full slate of uh, acc shares until 2030 <laughs> so they're willing to yeah over the next like i said five seven years they're just willing to basically play for play uh, play for free almost uh, oregon and washington by the way are not getting a full share of the big tens revenue at least for their first two to three years while they're in the conference they're going to yeah. get one eventually with the next television deal right now Oregon and Washington are not making the same amount of money as everybody else. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that's they're completely fine with that. I, I think Oregon especially. I think Phil Knight, uh, they'll, they'll yeah. be all right. Yeah. Only <laughs> other news I have, uh, we'll breeze through this, guys. Um, FedEx Cup in golf. It's kind of really changing gear. Some college uh, football mostly and then the, to golf. But FedEx Cup um, happening this weekend, uh, the St. Jude Championships at TPC Southwind. Uh, day one in the books, Jordan Spieth might be back. I uh, would love to see him back. That's awesome. He scored. He's at the top of the leaderboard right now at minus seven uh, heading into Friday. Um, below him, Tom Kim at negative uh, minus six. And then 
Colin Morikawa and Emilio Emiliano Grillo, uh, both at minus five, and then Chef Chef uh, Shoffley, excuse me, minus four, and then uh, you don't really get another recognizable name until Fleetwood also at minus four, um, and then Macawari, which a lot of people obviously are always looking at, especially with the FedEx Cup. He's at minus three, so four under the leader right now. I don't have much else to say. This is kind of a overview of day one and going into uh yeah going into the weekend do you guys have any initial thoughts on the fedex st jude championship going on i mean the fedex cup is a nice thing to win but it doesn't compare to the four majors and anybody tries to tell you otherwise is kidding themselves but i i would like to see jordan speed be back i mean we've kind of been waiting for it for six years because that was the last time he won a major and he really hasn't played all that well since he's had moments you know his his driving has been good his short games typically very good his putting just has not been very good that's what's killed him the last four or five years or so but yeah you know it's not great for golf that the FedEx Cup is happening but the bigger story is Phil Mickelson betting a billion dollars on all the sports like he bet on football basketball apparently tried to bet on a Ryder Cup that he played in which that's Pete Rose-esque behavior out of him, which, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. Phil Mickelson, <laughs> how about the heel turn that he's had the last couple of years? He was the most beloved golfer in America for a very long time, if you didn't like Tiger Woods. And now yeah. everybody does not like Phil because he took the live money. And based on his gambling history, what we, what came out yesterday, now we know why he went to the live tour. Yeah, I think people still like him. Just. I don't know if I don't know if like is the right word. I think people still think he's a character. I don't. Oh yeah, yeah. People used to like him, but I think people like him for different reasons now. I think he's mm-hmm. just such a, you know, like I said, character. That's why people yeah. still gravitate to, towards him. But but yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, it's it's looking back on it, it's not really a surprise he went to the live tour. <laughs> he bet a billion and only lost a hundred million. So that tells me he's actually a good better. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask. So when I was, I, I didn't look into it too much, honestly. But he bet a he bet a billion. But then, so he, I guess he won nine hundred million. Uh, <laughs> he in only revenue? lost a hundred mil, so nine hundred yeah. mil. He's still up. So I guess his gambling history is pretty yeah. good. I mean, yeah, it's um, <laughs> good for him. I know he was a he was a gambler. I I, I did know that. I, I'll, I don't think anyone knew it was as bad as it was, but um, yeah. My only other thing from the FedEx Cup, uh, Ram was the betting favorite going into this weekend. He's actually, I think, second to no. Well, he's at plus three right now. The lowest, the highest score is plus six with Justin Rose. So he's not even far from the bottom of the barrel. Um, McElroy was also tied with Ram uh, for betting favorites. Like I said, he's at minus four or minus three, four under from the from the leader. Shoffley was at plus fifteen hundred. So um, you know, definitely not the betting favorite, but he's actually at minus four, even closer than McElroy is. But so, yeah, we'll see what happens. Only other thing I have about the FedEx Cup this weekend is uh, TPC Southwind. Uh, I think it's known to have like some of the narrowest, narrowest fairways on the whole tour. So we'll see what happens there. Um, expect some driving uh, numbers to be down, you know, fair, you know, fairway hits off, off the tee to you know, those numbers would be down a little bit. Expect that this weekend. And it's going to be hot and humid in Memphis. And the ball uh, flies further when it's hot and humid. So that's another thing to look out for. But like I said, 
all I have uh, on that. And it'll be interesting to see who wins and uh, who ends up moving on to the next round. Do you guys, I actually don't know. Do you know what it, I know 70 make the FedEx cup. Do you, how many make the next round? Do you guys know? It, it goes 70, 50, 30. Okay. Okay. And then do you know where next, next weekend I think is, let me check. Is it possible to help? Oh, geez. I know the final, the finale is in Atlanta. It's at the okay. tour championship as it is every year. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where it is, but uh, September, August. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, move on to makers and fakers of the week. Um, so who, uh, Zach? Who's your maker of the week? Ooh, um, so <laughs> hard. I know. <laughs> I know. I was gonna say nothing. Nothing's mm. really happened. So uh, my maker of the week is actually going to be a little bit off the grid, and that's Philip Rivers because he was apparently the contingency plan for Kyle Shanahan if the 49ers had beaten the Eagles in the NFC Championship game. Remember, Brock Purdy got hurt very early in the game. Josh huh. Johnson got a concussion, and by the second half, they're having Christian McCaffrey play Wildcat quarterback. It was a non-competitive game in the second half. So if the Niners had actually won, the plan was that Philip Rivers, who retired in 2021, was going to somehow come out of retirement to play one game. And we know that he's busy having children, and he's got a whole starting offense now with how many kids he has. But Philip Rivers, the guy who never got to a Super Bowl in his career, would have been the 49ers starter. And Kyle Shanahan says, yeah, he knew the playbook. He was ready to go. And as great of a game as the Eagles gave the Chiefs, now I'm really interested to see what the 49ers would have done if Philip Rivers was a starter. Could he have come out for one game and done anything, or would it have just been a spectacular blow-up? But I'm giving it to Philip Rivers this week. That'd be awesome. I would have. I, I had no idea about that. That would have been awesome. I would yeah. have loved to see Philip Rivers mm. in the <laughs> Super Bowl. That would have been that would have been amazing. Actually, that would first Super Bowl <clears throat> game in three years. Oh, by the way, it's the Super Bowl. Yeah, <laughs> no, that would have. That's that is that's that's pure desperate at that point i mean there's no other way to really phrase it <laughs> well they all got hurt you yeah didn't have I mean, anybody yeah that is i mean that's that is i mean just what happened with the 49ers last year that that really is unprecedented just how i mean how that happened i don't even that's one of those things that you that wouldn't even happen again even if you tried i mean players no. are always trying to hurt each other players are always trying to hurt the quarterback and hurt the other team and even if you tried to do that again, I don't even think you could. That's why the NFL instituted the or re. They brought back the emergency quarterback rule, which they didn't allow. You couldn't have three quarterbacks on your roster. Now you're allowed to do that just because of that game. <laughs> yeah, um, my maker of the week. Um, going back to soccer a little bit, Harry Kane likely to stay with Tottenham despite Bayern Munich offering him a deal worth close to 100 million. <laughs> um, yeah. Sports world lacking loyalty in a lot of areas. So, uh, so to see a big name want to stay with a club um, that hasn't had a whole lot of success compared to Bayern Munich, uh, yeah, I like to see it. Uh, so yeah, Harry Kane staying with Tottenham. This uh, kind of um, now, I guess kind of the live tour, like back, you know, when players were staying with, um, you know, were taking less money to stay where they're loyal to, and yeah, I like Harry Kane uh, doing that for Tottenham. Uh, Justin, who is your maker of the week? My maker of the week is Michael Lorenzen pitching a no-hit shutout for the Phillies in his debut at Citizens Bank Park. What a historical night for the Phillies and for Major League Baseball as well with his wife and nine-month-old daughter and mother in the stands during his home debut in Philadelphia. Michael Lorenzen 
pitching a no-hit shutout. Didn't think it would happen, but it was 120 pitches that he got, and that was something else for Lorenzen in his home debut in Philadelphia, coming over from the Detroit Tigers in the trade deadline. I think he's off for like eight days now. I think it's mm-hmm. it's a like it's usually only like what four games that you take a break from a starting pitcher or like like seven days oh, basically. Okay. So not, basically, more, actually, he's probably going to be off until Tuesday or Wednesday or maybe even maybe even Thursday or Friday now with the way he pitched. Yeah, no, it's a uh, arm must have been almost falling off uh, uh, at end of that game. Uh, Zach, who's mm-hmm. your faker of the week? Yeah, my faker of the week is going to be the U.S. Women's National Team. I'm sorry. That's just the biggest failure that we've seen from a national team in quite some time. I mean, they got, you could say, too political. They got too, they were more worried about being activists than they were about being soccer players. Their priorities just weren't in the right place. And the, I'll say it again, the collective arrogance. You hear the Dutch players talking about, oh, yeah, they just expected to go to the final, and they were openly talking about that before the tournament even started, and then for them to fail as badly as they did and and lose in the knockout stage and to not score any goals for the last two matches they played, it it, it was just a poor performance. And I'm also tired of the protection that they're getting from the national media. Like, if this were a men's team, if this were Mm -hmm. a football team or a basketball team, they'd be getting roundly criticized because they failed spectacularly. I don't want to hear anything about, oh, it's sexist to go after them. No, it's not. This is sports. Like, male, female, whatever, you have to point out when they just did not get it done. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. And this team did not do what they were supposed to do. The coaching was not good. You, you can make whatever excuse, whatever reason you want. The fact of the matter is they, they gagged in this tournament. There's no yeah. other way to put it. And I'm tired of people saying like, oh, well, they did the country proud. They honored us. Like, no, they didn't. They lost early. They should have done better in this tournament. Let's not beat around the bush. Let's not try to say, oh, it's sexist to go after them. It's not. This is sports. And so the coverage, I think, has been embarrassing. And their performance on the pitch was pretty embarrassing as well. So the U.S. women's national team, big fakers. And they, and they would be the first ones to say it too. They don't want to be treated differently than the men's, uh, you know. So if they they out, if they underperform, you know, they would be the first ones to say we want to be, you know, uh, treated like the men would be in the national media and you know, um, scolded for our performance. And so yeah, it, it's not the, they're not the ones saying give us fair treatment. Uh, I, I mean, they're, they're not the ones saying preferential treatment. Be, you know, yeah, be easy on us. It's mm-hmm. it's the media, like you said, Zach. But they wouldn't really want it like that, to be honest. No, you uh, fight for equal pay. You get you get the bows and arrows that come with uh, being equal. My faker of the week, uh, Sabian Howard, uh, having no idea who Desmond Ritter was. Uh, when asked <laughs> about how Ritter looked in their joint practices, Howard had no idea who the reporter was talking about. Um, one of the top corners in the league, you would think Howard would be more knowledgeable about his competition, especially since they had been conducting joint practices with them. Uh, with the Cardinals this uh, this week, so um, yeah, uh, faker. My faker of the week is Xavier Howard, um, having no idea who one of his biggest competitors is, uh, despite practicing with him all week. Uh, you know, in joint practices with the Cardinals. So yeah, that, that's my faker of the week. Uh, Justin, who's your faker of the week? My faker of the week is Aaron Rodgers being on Hard Knocks. Obviously, now he's got a PR. Now he's got a PR assistant. Sounds like a Hollywood actor, right? 
totally being on hard knocks, obviously being the quarterback of the New York Jets in the biggest market in the nation. Aaron Rodgers, once again, proving he is a faker, and he was that guy in Green Bay for 17 years, being the franchise quarterback. Now he's the happiest man in the world, apparently, according to the PR and hard knocks and whatnot, going to New York and being the starting quarterback for the Jets. Right. Well, yeah, if, um, we're going to go to our interview now with Brian Scheibel. Like I said, uh, we talked about the college realignments going on. Uh, we'll go into more in-depth with him, uh, specifically about Colorado leaving the Pac-12 uh, and joining the Big 12 in uh, next year. Uh, but yeah, great interview with him. Gave us a lot of insight, like I said, especially into um, Colorado. But, but yeah, without further ado, uh, here is Brian Scheibel. Okay, we now bring on recurring guest Brian Scheibel. Scheibel from uh, Buffs Beat, writer for Buffs Beat, part of Sports Illustrated. Uh, Brian, we've had you on in the past. I think we talked about March Madness last time we had you on. You were covering some, covering some March Madness. Uh, this time you, yeah. you've changed gears a little bit. Now you're in the college football realm. Uh, like I said, doing some great stuff with Sports Illustrated, part of Buffs Beat, uh, covering uh, Colorado uh, mostly. Um, but you uh, toured a lot of other media days uh, in the past, you know, a couple of weeks with all this conference realignment going on. But we'll start with Colorado, who you're sure. really familiar with. Uh, let me just ask you right off the bat. I mean, how do you feel? What was your knee jerk reaction when Colorado left the Pac-12 and is going to join the Big 12 now? Uh, what, what, what was your immediate reaction when that happened? Yeah, I mean, the whole the whole thing has just been kind of a whirlwind with Colorado anyway. Um I started covering them around the middle of June uh, this year. I've been kind of intrigued by them probably for the last uh, nine months or so, you know, as they, as, you know, when the end of the call Durrell error and brought in Deion Sanders. But um, yeah, I mean, it seemed like they were, they were going to make a move. Um, I, I asked Brett Yormark, the, the big 12 commissioner, you know, at, you know, at that big 12 media day, about you know just how intriguing their brand is. He's a big brand guy. I think he went from Rock Nation and Nike, and he answered me in kind of like almost like a wink, wink mode. Like, yeah, they're exciting. Good luck to them. And it was like I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. But I kind of get the sense that something was imminent. Uh, a little surprised they didn't roll it out there in time for that uh, for the different um, days. I half expected them to like lower Deion Sanders down from the jumbotron at Jerry World that day, but. Uh, it didn't work out uh, quite like that, but certainly I think it's a good path for them. And uh, Big Twelve, I mean uh, Pac-12, I mean for them to fumble this all away in a matter of years is really surprising. Yeah, I mean, where do you think the Pac-12 goes from here? Do you think it's even in a matter of a couple months we might see the Pac-12 kind of throwing in the towels, or I mean, or do you think they're going to join with uh, some you know MAC schools like people are talking about? What do you think is going to happen with the Big Twelve or the, yeah, the Pac-12? You know, yeah, it's it's interesting of, of of who's left at this point right now. I'm I'm still surprised by the news last night that though I, I thought it was a kind of a crazy decision anyway, but but Cal and Stanford apparently may not be now in motion to the ACC. Um, then you got like you know SNU trying to buy their way in and all this stuff. So um, I mean personally, you know, I look at Oregon State, I look at Washington State, and I think about the schools that are in that sort of Northwest. I think we may have even covered this uh, once before, talked about this, this, this scenario. You, you know, when you, when you think about 
kind of what's going on with expansion. Like, look at what Conference USA is doing, basically mm -hmm. enticing FCS schools to come up next year. I almost wonder if they couldn't just pull off the same thing in the Northwest, you know, and possibly uh, combine some Mountain West teams, maybe some of those big sky schools like Idaho was FBS a couple of years ago, went back. Montana State, North Dakota State. I mean, I mean, people in that part of the country like those teams. I almost feel like it makes more sense to do something like that than something drastic where they're, you know, they're playing Memphis or whatever. Yeah, that was going to be my thought. I thought they would merge potentially with the Mountain West. And by the way, if you're a San Diego State fan, how happy are you because you tried to submit an <laughs> uh, application for the Pac-12 just a couple months ago, and then they decided to back out at the last second. So they have a life wrap with the Mountain West. But uh, I'll go back to Colorado specifically. Yeah. Um, cool. If Deion Sanders isn't the head coach of Colorado, is there an appetite for the Big 12 to add Colorado? Because let's be honest, over the last 10, 15 years, they've been, I think, the worst program in the Power Five or one of the worst programs in the Power Five. So does Deion Sanders coming back there and the, all of a sudden the, the juice around Colorado, did that have a big impact on the Big 12's um, wanting to add them? I, I, re I really think it, it did, um, especially when we think about now Colorado's regardless of how well they play this year, which is very much to be determined, I think, they're already lined up for the two big big noon kickoff games, week one and two, right? Yeah. So they, you know, they, in terms of brand building, uh, they accomplished that so quickly. I actually posed that question to Brett McMurphy at, at one of the last media days. I, I kind of just wanted to talk to him about Colorado specifically because he was breaking lots of news with them. And, you know, I think it's a fascinating question. I mean, we, we sort of, we sort of were... were in agreement on this point, if you think about Deion Sanders, the job process that he went through last December, um, he won't admit to this, but I believe Auburn offered him the job and he didn't want any part of it. But, um, you know, that's not out there officially, but I, I'm pretty sure if he wanted to, that job, he could have had it. But in the end, he narrowed himself down to two jobs. USF has such, such great appeal here in the state of Florida and Colorado. I would almost venture to say that, you know, if he had gone to USF, maybe we're talking about USF going to Big 12 right now. Yeah, because yeah. UCF's already there, so it would have made natural yeah. sense for the rivalry aspect uh, of that. But, I mean, why is this round of conference realignment, why do you think it's so much different of a reaction? Because Oklahoma and Texas kind of started mm -hmm. this, people forget, a couple years ago. But I didn't hear this much outrage when the old Big East broke up or when Nebraska went to the Big Ten or when, you know, the Pac-16 almost happened until the Longhorn Network came on at the last second. So <laughs> yeah. why is this feel different to most college football fans as opposed to some of the realignment moves in the past? I think the, the intrigue about the Pac-12 and the immediacy of being able to, you know, so many times we, we see these things. I mean, think about Oklahoma and Texas. You got got some kids that gone through almost their whole education there at the school from the time that's been announced to from the time they'll actually go to the SEC. Right. But here it's just like, okay, we could do this and we're, we're, we're gone next year. And some of the ACC stuff is a little bit tenuous, you know, what, you know, whether or not they'll be able to enforce anything. So it's possible if FSU or Clemson, one of them want to bolt or North Carolina, you know, they may be able to get out too. So it feels like in the past where we had this ramp up for several years now it's just like time to strike, and I and I and I feel like that's probably what's driving a lot of the the movement uh, right now. Do you think we end up with the Big Two, the Big Ten, and the SEC, and that's it? I mean, yeah, you know, I I, I think probably a, a Big Three seems seems more like I could see 
I could end up, I could see 324 team plus, you know, type of uh, situations at some point. That That's probably going to be another couple couple stages of this. I think they would love to probably keep, um, you know, four and keep them under 20, but um, I don't know. I think Notre Dame probably has a little bit of say potentially in, in, in their, their ability to save someone if they wanted to or save some conference. Um, How do you think this affects the college football playoffs in the future? Yeah. You know, that, it's, that's what, that's what I find so interesting about this whole scenario. Um and this is, that was my thought today as I was coming on today. I'm, I'm reading this SMU news that they have donors ready to throw $200 million at the school. So they'll literally work for free. We're going to go, we're going to go to big 12 or big 10 or ACC for free. Don't pay us until the next thing is up. And I'm thinking like, they're only doing this to get into a power conference. Meanwhile, we have the 12 team playoffs starting next year. It's, it's going for two years. Pretty strong possibility it's either going to be 12 or 16 from that point on. It would seem like the easier path to the playoffs for some of these teams would be just to stay where they're at. You go put up a 12 and 0, you're getting in. I mean, yeah. But if you, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I guess they're thinking, well, if we go 10 and 2 in one of these big conferences, maybe that's a better path. But I don't know. I feel like if you're a have-not type school, you're, you know, maybe staying where you're at is is, uh, is your best way in. Think there's any chance they might do kind of like a conference type of uh, tournament bracket where it's you know say those four major conferences three from mm-hmm. each conference make the tour you know if it stays twelve you know playoff yeah. team bracket you know like three from each make it or if there's three big conferences maybe four from each make it do you think there's any chance of that maybe happening that would be kind of interesting I think that'd be kind of cool yeah that'd be that'd be pretty cool there's been whispers out there of like the SEC maybe trying to do a two-week, you know, four-team situation, you know, in, in New Orleans or whatever, or maybe they go to Atlanta or, you know, they, so, and I think the bigger that conference gets and such, it would, it would probably seem most appropriate to maybe end the season a week earlier and have their own little mini championship playoff that they, they would make, you know, a zillion dollars on as well. So, I, yeah, I wonder, I wonder if it, it could be something like that. I think the complete breakaway, like we're going to just shut down the NCAA entirely idea that's out there. You know, we're going to have the best 80 schools and no one else can participate. I don't know. I think they, I think they like this. I think they like the CFP because it's kind of, I mean, and this is just me guessing a little bit here, but you know, the, I think some of the people who make the decisions they like that life. They like that bowl life. They like that, you know, mm-hmm. parties and all this stuff. They, you know, be wine and dine from city to city and all this. And, and a lot of that carries over into the CFP decision makers as well. So remember the college football playoff was supposed to be the top six conference champs and then yeah. six at larges. Um, so if we go down to five, four power mm-hmm. conferences, does that mean we're just going to have the top four and then we'll have the fifth automatic bid go to the highest ranked group of five, as you would call it now, and then just open more at-large spots? Or if you're the SEC or the Big Ten, why wouldn't you just want there to be all at-large spots? Because that means more mm. teams from your conference are getting into the playoffs. So what what would be the best way to resolve it? Yeah, well, I, I think that that last point was the, was the main point of contention that some of the schools had right up to the point of it where, like, they didn't – I think the AAC was fighting for top six conferences, 
not not five and one, but just top six. Power six, regardless of how that. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, yeah, I remember they had that logo for a little bit. So I I guess if the Pac-12 just you know goes poof, um, then then yeah, maybe it's going to be four and two. Um, but I I think it would work out to be four and two anyway. You know, in almost every situation. But but the points I think the AAC was making is that you know in some years where Cincinnati. Ran, you know, rolled off a big number, and someone else did twelve and zero or eleven and zero. Maybe if we did like true power rankings, like old school BCS style, um, number six, uh, you know, would have been another another conference. But probably, I don't know. What do you think? Four to five years or more, uh, it would probably shake out where the top schools would likely be, you know, among the top five. Uh, but yeah, I guess it's probably going to free up a spot. It's just a question: Will it free up another automatic qualifier or? A uh, an at large, um, and that's just. But I think either way, it's a good problem because now we're talking about at worst, you know, a, a team that's ranked twelve or thirteenth might might miss out to a team ranked sixteenth or something like that. Yeah, no mm-hmm. one's gonna feel sorry for number thirteen like they might for number yeah. five. Yeah, unlike basketball, it's you know right. that's a that's a long ways to go to get the top two or so. So back to Colorado, though, do you think um, yeah. they're going to be more competitive in other sports from fo- than football in the Big 12? Because I know, you know, fo- Colorado has been, as we already said on this interview, Colorado has been kind of one of the lower players in the Power Five of, mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. And now they're going into the Big 12 with, you know, big time football schools, you know, TCU, obviously, you know, it was just in the <laughs> championship game last year. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you see them having more success in other sports outside of football? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. They have a um, projected lottery pick coming in uh, in basketball. Cody Williams, who I, I know he got to play. He didn't, he didn't exactly shine in this, but he got to, got some experience under his coach, Pat Boyle, at the U19 World Championships they had uh, a few weeks ago for FIBA. So, but at least he got to got to play. He's probably a one and done level talent. And and the basketball's been pretty solid. Men's and women's both. Both have been improving. Um, going to the Big 12, they don't have baseball right now. They shut it down, I think, a couple decades ago. So maybe if they can, depending on where they're at, Title IX wise and everything, maybe they might add that back. I think they'll 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 you know at least for those sports and basketball, I think they'll be solid. Much tougher conference for sure, but they are seemingly attracting a pretty good level of recruits. I think football though is going to you know ultimately determine just how how successful coach prime is, um, you know, I can't believe people predicting three wins, three and a half wins. It feels really low to me. Um, but that's what they're, you know, that's what some people are, are, are saying right now. I don't know how you can truly make a real educated guess when the whole entire roster turns over. Yeah. Um, I think that's all it is, is a guess. So I think his success though is going to definitely lift uh, all the other sports for sure. Tough opening schedule uh, for Colorado. Yeah. I mean, TCU opening game. Uh, then you get Nebraska, which is, we don't really know what to make of them, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. before the season starts. But Oregon, U- USC, Arizona yeah. State, you can't really bat ahead against either. So, yeah, it's going to, what would be the landscape look like, you know, going into the Pac 12 in 2024 if, they don't have a really good year this year because I, I think a lot of people are, are people expecting too much from Deion Sanders, just giving it, it's his first year. Like are people just expecting him to do too much? And he still is a first year coach. And I don't think people are really, in my opinion, you know, putting a lot of weight to that, you know? 
Yeah, well, it seems like the opinions are all over the place, right? Like, like the, he obviously is, I think, far and away, the, at least in terms of, like, total fans. I mean, like, maybe, like, Nick Saban or somebody but may have more, but, like, in terms of just interests online and followers and things like that, he's, you know, number one by a mile. I mean, you could add up the whole conference combined, and he wouldn't have a fan base of, of him personally with any other coach. But... Um, you know, so that's why you have those who want to basically say it's going to be a you know a total embarrassment, and others who think he can compete for the championship. I, you know, I think the first three games will be really telling. At TCU, um, I know what they did last year, but you know, it's that that team has changed quite a bit. I think um, it'd be really be interesting. That crowd will be probably a sixty forty type situation in Fort Worth. Um, and haven't been to that a bunch of times. I mean, they always struggle with uh, getting the real students to to fill that place. So, I I think if they show up there, you know, if they, even if they don't win that game, if they, you know, if they have then Nebraska and Colorado State at home, if they're two and one going into Oregon and, and USC, I think that would be a pretty impressive accomplishment, you know, for turning over the whole roster. Now he's going to turn over the whole roster again next year too, because so many of the guys he brought in were graduate transfers uh, this year. So they're probably going to put 40, 50 new guys on the team next year, too. Yeah, you look at their schedule. They're playing USC, Oregon, Washington. Like the Pac-12, I think people are forgetting because the Pac-12 is about to implode that the conference Mm -hmm. this year from top to bottom is really good. I mean, especially at the quarterback position. Now, Colorado does have a good quarterback of their own and Shader, Shader, however you say his name, Dion's kid. And he yeah. had a great year at Jackson State, a great couple years, actually. What are the expectations for Colorado as far as his? he's concerned? Because now they actually have a quarterback that they can throw out there, and it's possible that he could be the best quarterback on the field, or at least just for that particular day. Yeah, well, I think I, yeah, I think it's the same, the same as kind of the overall success of the team, um, and which is very, I think, low expectations by most media, maybe high expectations from, from fans. Uh, there's a stat I have to tell you from last from last year's team that I, I blew me away when I first um, saw it. So this just tells you how pitiful it is. You know, a lot of times you see a team that struggles, and you're like, oh, they were three or four plays away from the bowl. If you gave Colorado three more touchdowns in every game last year, they're two and ten. I mean, that's that's just how like how they sucked that badly. I mean, they were just blown out of every game. So. I think with Shador, you know, some of the criticisms uh, in the games that he didn't do great at Jackson State, maybe taking too much time to, to read uh, a little too, you know, maybe just uh, not seeing all the, the full field, relying too much on Travis Hunter, things like that. But um, Sean Lewis, I mean, I'm a little biased. I'm a Kent State grad and watched him, what he did at that school, him stepping down as head coach to take on this challenge of offensive coordinator. Um, I mean, he, he's the guy people are sleeping on here, the offensive coordinator, when they're thinking about this, because Deion Sanders is more like the CEO of the team, I think, in many ways. But, you know, I don't know if how much every play-by-play is he really locked in. If he is, he's maybe locked in more on the defensive side, I imagine. But Sean Lewis has, has some pretty wild offensive schemes. If you watch Kent State at all, there's times where it looks like 13 on 11 out there. And um, with guys crisscrossing all over the place, and I, I'll be interested to see how well Shador can execute his offense. Yeah, and just going off with what Zach said too, they Pac-12 
does have a really good lineup of teams mm-hmm. from top to bottom. Yeah. What I mean, you might not know the answer to this, but why did George Klyevkov have such a hard time securing a deal? Like, what did the the commissioner for the Pac-12 like? Why did he have such a hard time securing a deal with you know a TV network? Was it money, or I mean, obviously it probably was money. He was probably he probably was asking for too much, but you know, obviously hindsight's the you know, greatest science looking back on it, he probably wishes he would have made a deal because this might not be an issue if, if he, yeah. you know, because I, I know he tried to make a subscription service with Apple TV that kind of failed. I know a lot of the other yeah. presidents, um, namely like Arizona's president was mocking him for trying to do that because that, that failed mm-hmm. pretty miserably. But just, you know, just why do you think it was such a hard, you know, why was it so hard to make a deal? Was it just money or were there other issues at stake that made it so hard to make a deal? I, you know, I, I tell you, I really didn't know a whole lot about him until a couple weeks ago. I, I saw him at the, uh, at, at the PAC 12 day and, um, you know, in Las Vegas. And I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know whether or not he was just destined to fail and the situation was already out of his control you know, pretty much the whole time. But he really didn't impress me at all. Like, I was sitting, you know, especially coming off the scene, your mark. Your mark is like the guy who could probably sell anything to, to anyone, you know, in, in the Big 12, putting on a nice presentation, the whole bit, exuding confidence. I mean, you could, you know, if anyone watching that can go back and look at the Pac 12 media day, it's, on, it's online. But if that was, you know, he, that's a, that's supposed to be a commissioner and kind of really selling something, and I I didn't get that vibe at all. It was it was pretty disgraceful, actually. I mean, I was I was just like, what what is this? This is like, and and you know, I mean, I'm sure he cares, but I have a sense though, on the day that they met the media, Pac-12, and and um and again, Dion was not there at that event because uh, he was having surgery, but I I got the sense that this already was a was over with from just body language alone. <laughs> Yeah, so you'll be covering the Pac-12 technically yep. for one more year <laughs> with Colorado still yep. in there for this year. Yep. What do you, yep. I mean, there's, if the way I look at it, there's three options that Pac-12 goes, you know, in the next, even next couple months, if not even the next mm-hmm. year. They either expand, like we talked about, bring in some team from like the Mountain West, maybe. Uh, sure. They merge with, um, you know, another, conf- you know, other teams just to make it kind of mm-hmm. like a West Coast conference or they just dissolve completely you know out of those three options like what do you what do you actually see happening with the pac-12 like what do you think is going to actually happen you just dissolve completely make it a whole new conference entirely or try to expand and replace the teams that they kind of lost yeah i i guess it comes down to like um i don't know if there's like i'm I'm, I'm probably using the wrong term but like intellectual property is like Pac-12 means something more than Mountain West. Like if they were to merge, like this retaining one brand matter more than another brand. Because I, I feel like that's the easiest way to do it. Mountain mm-hmm. West has a, has a new commissioner. Uh, she's, she seemed really interesting and, and had some ideas that, about moving for, things forward. So I have a feeling that whether they keep one brand or the other, um, he's gone as the Pac-12 commissioner, you know, uh, I, I think either way, I think the Mountain West would probably be the would be the takeover part of it, regardless of what name direction they go. And then, yeah, I mean, they maybe they'll just try to build up. I, I, I think the smartest move would be to try to build up the 
the Northwest. And, and truthfully, if, if the Mountain West can kind of nudge a few um, teams uh, out of there to maybe go to the Conference USA or AAC, that would, that would be probably better for everybody. I mean, you know, I don't know if, if, um, you know, if some of them still, still need to be there. But I think, I think that would probably be the, the best solution. I can't picture the Pac-12 itself and their leadership convincing enough schools to, to form something now, especially when, when schools are, 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 you know, Cal and Stanford are dying to get out of there. And they'll probably take some terrible deal to go with somebody uh, at some point here soon. So why couldn't they get a television deal? Because it seemed like the only thing that was on the table was the Apple only streaming, which everybody watches everything via streaming these days, but it seems like the only thing that isn't dominated by streaming is live sports, and you still need to have the linear presence of ESPN or Fox or NBC, whatever the case may be. Yeah. So why couldn't the Pac-12 with you know all these great quarterbacks and having all these great programs like USC, Oregon, Washington, yeah. that – I mean, people around the nation all know who those teams are. Why couldn't they get an exclusive television deal the way that some of these other conferences, especially the Big 12, was able to do yeah. without Texas and Oklahoma? Yeah, I think they so heavily depended on their relationship with Fox that they've had forever. Um, you know, going back, one of the one of the the um, commentators there, Petros Papadakis, I know really well. I worked yeah. on this show for years and he's been with them for 20 plus years and i, I think the pac-12 maybe took fox and fox regional networks for granted that, that they thought they always would have them to fall back on i think usc and ucla just blindsided them you know a couple of years ago i don't think they ever even saw that coming at all and then yeah you think they could still throw something together i think maybe they got greedy thinking they needed to compete with the with the Big 12 and then they ended up losing more opportunities along the way and 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 then it was just you know too little too late to even try to throw something together with 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 Apple. I I, I get the sense that Colorado was going to depart probably either way. I don't know if Utah would have would have left uh, or Oregon or Washington, but I think Colorado was on their way out and and it wouldn't shock me if the Arizona schools were were unhappy. Um, as well, so they would have been stuck. They would have been at like a seven situation. Could they have kept it together with Fresno and um, Colorado State and San Diego State or something like that, and made it something that's somewhat attractive, maybe? But it still would have been low money, though. Yeah, Arizona President uh, Robert Robbins uh, said, "Quote: It's it, the the deal with um, Apple TV would have been like selling candy bar selling candy bars to little league." <laughs> Little League games. Um, yeah, it, like Zach said, you still do need cable, I feel like, for yeah. live sports. I, streaming has shown a lot of problems with live sports, just th- with the delays. And I think a lot of people see that. And a lot of, you know, a lot of yeah. NFL, NBA, they're afraid to really go to the streaming route because it has a lot of issues with delays and, uh, you know, all that that comes with it. But what, um, just, Real fast, the ACC. I mean, what do you yeah. what do you see the ACC having to do to kind of get out of this mess? Do you think there's any chance that the um, Clemson and FSU are they, they're going to leave the SEC? I know they're really trying to leave the SEC, and you know, do you think there's any chance that the ACC kind of can fill that void with Stanford and Cal? Like, it's kind of a two part question. Like, what do you think of yeah. leaving? What do you think of ACC's chances of even getting Stanford and Cal? Well, I mean, I, I think they, if they wanted them, they could have had them yesterday, it sounds like. Um, 
but apparently 10, only 10 presidents reportedly were, were interested. So it's still a volatile situation. I think at this point that we really are negotiating over, over money and payouts between now and the, um, you know, and the, and the, and the end of whatever the current contracts are. So, um, I, I mean, I, I gotta, I gotta feel like if they're going to do something that SMU deal is going to be very attractive. I mean, the, the SMU is like doing the equivalent of, you know, standing on the, the corner with a, like, we'll play football for, for food at this point. I mean, they, I, they're just insanity, but if you have enough wealthy alumni, you can get away with stuff like that. So they're, they're going to try and join them for free if they'll, if they'll take them. Um, but doesn't, that doesn't necessarily solve the FSU Clemson problem who arguably have as much leverage as anybody in there. So I, I, I think it's just speculation at this point. I, I, I got to feel like if we look at FSU and Clemson, the way we look at USC and UCLA, I would have never thought that would have happened. I, even though this is being reported as, you know, the FSU is exploring options. I think they're in the right spot right now, just staying where they are. And I, I I know Florida doesn't want them in the SEC, so it seems like to me if FSU is going to go anywhere, they're going to go to the Big Ten if they'll take them. But um, personally, I, I you know I I wouldn't I wouldn't make that that jump if I'm them. I think they're they're in a good spot now, and that's what I think can, can save it. They just they just need these teams to be happy. FSU and Clemson want more money than others supposedly, or they want some kind of structured system. Maybe they'll they'll compromise there on those funds. I think the Big yeah. Ten would definitely take Florida State if they had the chance. But uh, uh, my question is, what is going to happen with Notre Dame? I know we always ask about Notre Dame every time conference realignment happens. They're involved with the ACC yeah. in every sport except football, yet they're really pushing the ACC to add Stanford and Cal, but they won't commit mm-hmm. full-time to football. So I, I don't know what that's all about, but – is there going to be a world where Notre Dame is eventually going to have to join a conference or can they stay stuck in their independence and, you know, being the five seed every year in the playoffs, best case scenario where they can't get a first round bye because they can't win a conference. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, so that, that's where they, that's what they're going to need. They're going to need more and more things that will, that will hurt them, you know, <laughs> you know, along the line here, you know, like with the college football playoffs. So I think Notre Dame is content with the current structure, the, two-year deal for the 2024 and 2025 season. If they tighten those restrictions, they go to 16 teams, but they make it even like where they're, they're going to be in, you know, at best a nine seed or whatever they may, you know, whatever they may do. If they, if they can, if they can make it more strict where it's, it's to a point where it's at a real disadvantage for them, if they can't get a home game in first round, say, or something like that. Um, if that's what, if that's the system that they stick with these uh, first round homes, that's the one way I think they're gonna they'll 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 probably join and and then it's just a question of where. But um, as of right now, I don't see them doing anything for at least three seasons at this point. Yeah. It would be hard to imagine uh, Stanford or Cal in the Atlantic Conference or Atlantic Coastal Conference. It's just yeah. kind of funny to say. But going off that though, my last question for you is: Do you think you know travel is going to be an issue going forward? I mean. Football, obviously, it's it's once a week. That's a little bit of a different story. But with these conferences kind of losing this regionality, you know, you think about soccer, basketball, you know, you know, volleyball, like these game, these teams that or these sports that have many games a week. And, you know, you're losing, like I said, this regionality of the conferences. And you might have 
teams traveling coast to coast, you know, within a week? And do you think like for the, for the smaller sports that may not bring in as much money, but still play a lot more games than football, do you see a lot of complaints coming out to, to the point where it, it might even make this a problem going forward, you know, with these conference realignments? Yeah, and I do. And I think that's why, you know, even right now, a school like Stanford, um, I don't know this exactly, but I know for a lot of big schools, like they, they, they may very well already be in like the West Coast Conference for a couple things or the WAC. Like the, that's pretty common. You see where some of these, some of these schools take on these other, um, you know, other conferences just for certain sports. So I, I kind of feel like if Stanford and Cal end up in the ACC, I'm thinking it's going to be only three sports at most, wow. you know, with um, maybe men's and women's basketball and then football. I, I can't imagine them wanting to send, you know, cross country to, to Wake Forest, you know, on a Friday afternoon meet or something like that. It just seems, seems wasteful. And it also seems wasteful for the other direction too, for these ACC schools. I mean, I guess they could pull it off because they could probably do their Stanford Cal in the same weekend or whatever they're they're looking to do, but it, you know, I, I if I had to guess, I'd imagine that they'd come to some kind of agreement where it's going to be two, maybe three sports total. Yeah, because you know you you hear all the time too cross country, you know volleyball. They're not they're not getting the jets, yeah. <laughs> the, the the plane no, rides no. either. They're not getting the luxury of you know air travel most of the times. So they're getting you know ground buses. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, but in that landscape though, so if they only have three sports you know, that would technically join the ACC or yeah, the ACC. Um, what would the other sports do then? Would they just be independent or how would that really work? Or would they just stay like, how would that, what would happen to those sports that would not technically join the ACC then? Yeah, I imagine. I mean, there's those other conferences that um, like whether it's Mountain West or I, I, I would, I would think that I think there's like this conference I know from, it's a basketball conference, but I think it also has other sports too, like West Coast Conference and things like that, like the the one that St. Mary's is in and then uh, Gonzaga was in. You know, I I'm assuming that these somehow they'll they'll figure it out. And um, I would think if I'm one of those conferences, even if I'm adding Stanford just for baseball or something, that's pretty cool, I guess. You know, you're adding some names, so I think they they probably would um, would would be able to sort it out. Um, you know, if, if not, then and, and I imagine for a school like Stanford, that's not as much of a concern money-wise. I think it's just going to be, I think what would, what would force this to happen would be likely the um, other schools being resistant and wanting to make these West Coast trips multiple times a year. Yeah, that'll be interesting, though, to have kind of a situation where the bigger sports like basketball and football, like you said, could mm-hmm. be longer distance, but then you would have, uh, short, you know, kind of like separate conferences set aside for the sports that, you know, would bring in less money, like cross country volleyball yeah. that would have to travel as far out. That, that'd be cool. Yeah. That'd, that'd be a really, uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be people have to get used to it. Having like a school being two different conferences virtually, but that'd be an interesting yeah. thing to happen. My last, I know I said last question, but I have one more that came up to my mind only because yeah. you, you are following college pretty uh, pretty closely here sure. with all these allegations that are coming out, you know, it, it seems like every other day, at, you know, Northwestern just kind of opened up the floodgates. It seems like with all these hazing allegations and other, you know, coaching scandals going on. Um, I think it was Sam Ocho last week or two weeks ago. I forget exactly who it was. I think it was Sam Ocho from ESPN. He mentioned the idea of a union, like the players having a union. 
um, you know, mm. to be able to, you know, without penalty, you know, without fear of penalty or, you know, retaliation from the coaching staff, whatever, they'd be able to talk to this union and bring up grievances and things like that. Or even, you know, with the travel situation, like I'm talking about going on here, they could have a union that could protect them with that as well. What, what was like, what is your overall thoughts just off the top of your head about having a union for the players? Yeah, it's interesting because I'm pretty sure this idea came up about 10 years ago um, from the Northwestern quarterback, C.J. Bacher, I think his name was his last name. And I know he brought, I know that that was like, so like the original idea behind like representation as if, you know, we're, we're more than just student athletes, we're employees at the time, not getting paid, now likely getting paid. It seemed like it was it was something that was given some serious thought. I think um, you know whether they have like player advocates or some other kind of you know designated position, or or even if they have like player reps, much like the NFL. Um, I, you know, I, I think it could work out. I I just think that um, you know when we look at like something like the Northwestern situation, and now now there's right away there's there's been a couple other things that happen. It seems like, a, a, regrettably, a lot of these stories come out, you know, years after it's already under, you know, whatever occurred. So um, I don't know if it's going to, if that sort of pressure in the locker room is going to be enough to kind of let players come forward on things like that if, if they, they face something. I imagine that, that most every school has some resources like that already in place. So we'll have to see. I think that all, some of the union stuff is also tied to um, kind of the, some of the disparity between like these NIL deals mm-hmm. and the quarterback is at a million dollars a year and then you got other guys who are barely making anything. And I think some of that, they, they'd like to sort of see um, the, the, the money spread around a little bit more too. Yeah. Might lead to a little bit more um, or a little better camaraderie in the locker room too. Yeah, because you mentioned schools have internal people that they can go to, but mm-hmm. that still is internal, right? And that's where the kind of yeah. the sketchiness comes into play. Like they still, mm-hmm. you should be able to go to somebody not affiliated with the university for, you know, not having that fear of retaliation or whatever it might be, especially with these big time football players that might be bringing a lot of money to the school. They don't want to have any type, you know, any chance of, retaliation mm-hmm. yeah and it was kevin blackie stone by the way i think that's who uh I, I didn't know it was brought up 10 years ago but recently you know a week or two ago yeah. that's who brought it up again recently was kevin yeah. kevin blackie yeah. stone so yeah i thought it was interesting i i, I want to get your thoughts on it just being someone that does sure. cover you know college pretty regularly but but yeah brian this has been awesome uh, i don't have anything else unless you know you want to makes last minute comments uh just about everything we talked about colorado in general oh, yeah but, but no this has been awesome and i really appreciate your time and we'll definitely have to do this again yeah absolutely yeah like some buffsbeat.com is where we're at it routes to the colorado um we're we're having some fun with that now we're already starting some wars with nebraska and, and tcu uh people awesome. online so it's uh it's it's getting kind of getting kind of fun kind of chippy but uh, yeah, it, it, it's a mystery, right? I'm, I um, don't know what to expect at this point. I don't really know if anyone can 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 say. But uh, Deion Sanders, the uh, first time I covered him was last October. They came to Jacksonville. Uh, his Jackson State team was playing Bethune-Cookman based out of Orlando. And I was blown away at just how this guy can command the room, especially in the postgame. 
and um, and then when this opportunity came up, I'm like, I have to jump on it. So, um, yeah, I'm just excited. I wish it was a little less drama day in, day out. <laughs> it's uh, it's quite a circus, but hopefully a little bit more control. We'll see what they do in the field. It should Whoa. be should be fascinating to watch. What was the per, like percentage? Of, I don't want to, you might not know the number. Yeah. I don't want to put you on the spot, but what was the percentage of the overturn that he did on the team? Like at least half, right? I mean, half the players Ooh. that he. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it Changed. I think didn't seventy three. Now there's some wow. walk ons who were still walk ons from last year, mm-hmm. so some of them hung around. But seventy three scholarships, I believe, was the number. Uh, and a couple guys like already came and left. Like there was two or three transfers that came in and left before they even got to fall camp. Um, so I don't know if you you know whether you want to count them or not too. But um, yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Like the twelve or thirteen guys who were actually hung around the whole way. One of them is um, Caleb Furier. Christian Furier was his father. The the I think he's a talk show host now, but he. You know, NFL tight end. This other guy, Trevor Woods, is really interesting. He met with the media yesterday. He said he wore it as like a badge of honor, like that he got chosen to survive the whole purge of the roster. So, so some of those guys are embracing it. They feel like, wow, I can't believe I, you know, he wanted to kick everybody out, but I'm still here. So it's kind of a boost for them. Um, but yeah, there's certainly some guys they lost that they would have rather kept. Some spring performers at the, the spring game did really well. But for the most part, I guess that's everywhere. You know, you're going to lose somebody that you'd like to keep in this um, free agency world that we're in right now, college football. All right. Well, Brian, this has been awesome. Yeah. Uh, like you said, Buffs yeah, Beat, uh, part of uh, Sports Illustrated. You Great stuff. Uh, check, I checked you out a couple of times here. You, you guys are doing cool. some great stuff. So definitely check them out. Uh, yeah, buffsbeat.com, uh, part of Sports Illustrated. And yeah, we'll, we'll like I said, we'll definitely do this again sometime. Uh, you know, maybe we'll catch it halfway through the season. We'll we'll see how yeah. how uh, how they're doing. That should uh, be fun. I can I can There's see no them doing. Yeah, I can. Like like you said, when you change out what close to seventy five percent of your roster, it's gonna you know you don't really know what to expect if you're gonna be good yeah. or bad. I mean, they could be really good, but they also have a tough schedule beginning here uh, in a couple of weeks. So we'll we'll see. But no, we'll definitely catch up again soon. Okay. All right. Awesome. Well, appreciate you guys. You have a good night. Okay. Thanks, Brian. Take care, Brian. Yep. Talk to you soon. That interview was brought to you by Philly Drinkers. The Continental Sports Podcast has partnered with Philly Drinkers, the go-to place for the greatest sports clothing that you can get your hands on. They specialize in partying hard and looking great while doing it. Owned and operated by diehard sports fans, they don't just love sports. They love what sports stand for. Most importantly, they understand that you always want to rep your favorite team anywhere you go, whether it be a sporting event or grabbing a couple of drinks with the guys. Their apparel and products always have unique designs and slogans, all while bringing out great vibes. Head to phillydrinkers.com today and get your one-of-a-kind merchandise. Philly Drinkers, always party. Okay, let's finish with our off-the-map and long-haul of the week. Justin, who's your off-the-map of the week? My off the map of the week is the conference realignment. I know we discussed it with Brian and at the beginning. Uh, some of the smaller conferences, the Sun Belt Conference and pretty much other other smaller conferences, the Sun Belt comes to mind. That being affected by the conference realignment, could they join the SEC? Could they even join, say, the Big Ten? But I don't think that the 
Sunbelt might might get out, might get left out of this thing. Who knows if these yeah. smaller conferences get left out? But we're not talking about the smaller conferences enough, and hopefully the smaller conferences, teams like Southern Miss, teams like Rice, let's say, get some of these get some of the attention that they deserve in this realignment. But they they might be a have-not school. We'll see. Yeah, I'm going to go. My off the map is I'm going to go with Canada being the second uh, betting favorites in the FIBA World Championships coming up in basketball uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, never won the FIBA World Championship. Uh, I think if I'm reading it now, they have yet to advance to the. They they haven't won the World Championship, and they've actually never even advanced to the World Cup match. Uh, the country's best finish in the tournament was sixth back in 1978 and 1982. Uh, they got a lot of players this year, though, and not many people are talking about them. I think, you know, for right reasons, people always think about USA running away with the FIBA World Cup. Obviously, we have the best the best players in the world when it comes to basketball. But uh, Canada has a lot of good players, too. I mean, they got Jamal Murray, RJ Barrett. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Dylan Brooks. I mean, you know, Murray obviously just coming off an NBA championship. Uh, this could, you know, this could definitely be Canada's year that they might actually win uh, the FIBA World Championship. Uh, USA, currently the betting favorites, like I said, no shock, minus uh, 105. So, you know, almost just scratch, just even for the United States to win it all. But Canada is uh, sneaky behind them at plus 400. And like I said, great roster. And this might actually be the year for Canada to not only make it to the World Cup uh, final, but actually maybe win it all. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Zach, who's your off the map of the week? I'm going to the state of Iowa. How about Iowa and Iowa State getting caught up in gambling scandals? Their players are apparently betting on games. And in the case of Iowa State, they had a defensive tackle who bet against his own team last or two years ago when they played against Texas. Iowa State won the game 30-7. to So, he lost off the field. He might have won on the field. But it, it's kind of crazy that, you know, the gambling's not legal in the state of Iowa still somehow. But <laughs> I, you don't hear much about gambling stories among college athletes. And I'm interested to see if this will peel back the curtain a little bit and we have more gambling stories to tell about, you know, guys betting on games. Because we're now seeing in the NFL, we're seeing guys betting on their own team or guys betting on this and that. College athletes, I'm sure, are betting on games as well. And it's just sure. now coming out. I find it fascinating that a guy bet against his own team, which, I mean, you never see happen. I know Pete Rose is the no- most notorious gambling mm-hmm. athlete of all, but he never bet against the Reds. He only bet for the Reds. But I wonder if this will happen more long term if we uncover more people betting on games. So. Kind of weird stuff happening in the state of Iowa. And by the way, betting on Iowa football unders is not a gamble. It's a sure thing. So yeah, I don't really yeah. blame them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, maybe that's why it's not legal there. You don't right. lose too much money. Uh, yeah. Uh, my long haul uh, of the uh, long – wait, Justin, who, we, long haul. Who's your uh, long haul of the week, Justin? My long haul of the week is Jerry Jones. Once again, Dallas Cowboys training camp is just a free-for-all. Players going after Dak Prescott on the field and off the field. Now you got Jerry Jones opening up his mouth saying, we're coming for everybody this year in the NFL, including the teams in the NFC East. But I, I think Dallas might be what the 2020 Eagles, let's say, yeah. as an example. 
they lost their they fired their offensive coordinator. Mike McCarthy is doing both the head coaching and the offensive coordinator. And the team I think the team is starting to turn on Dak in the locker room. So I think there's locker room problems there. I mean, McCarthy having so much duties, now Kellen Moore being out as the offensive coordinator. I think Dallas is yeah. is gonna have a dramatic step back this year. And Jerry Jones being my long haul of the week, just basically covering his covering his own, you know what, yeah. and just it, covering it up for the Cowboys and their own and his own players. They do it to themselves. I mean, they really do. The, the they Cowboys do. every single. I mean, <laughs> it's America's team. It's you know, it's kind of analogous to you know the top premier Premier League teams like Manchester City. It's you know, if you ask anyone on the streets in America to name one Premier League team, they're going to be able to name Manchester City and. Uh, mm-hmm. Dallas is kind of analogous to that. If you ask people, you know, overseas that don't even follow football that much, they're going to still know who Dallas is. It's just they have a they have right. a mm-hmm. laser on their back every single year, and they don't. To my point is they don't do anything to take the pressure off them. If if anything, they every single year in, in training camp and off season, they just they say things and do things that puts even more spotlight on them and more pressure on them, and it's just they can never seem to get out of their own way. But yeah, I mean, it's it is. Dallas is crazy because they really are mm-hmm. they, they really are kind of a mediocre team when it comes down to it, but the hype for them is just so high every single year. I think people think that they're a lot better than they actually are, and it's just it, it would it would not be fun to be on Dallas for that reason and for, you know I actually feel kind of bad for Dak Prescott sometimes because I think he's a nice guy, I like him, and I don't think he's even that mm-hmm. bad of a quarterback, but if you're going to be on the cowboys it's you just are expected to to be, mm-hmm. Yeah, to be good. Jerry Jones is breathing down your neck, mm-hmm. and no, the country. I, you might be on a. Oh yeah, <laughs> really? I mean, you might be on a different team next year. Yeah, might be on a different team in twenty twenty four. I would like to see it. To be honest, I mean, yeah, there's going to be a I lot of people be. that are going to need quarterbacks. So, um, I you know, like there even were this year, there still will be next year too. There's always teams that need mm-hmm. quarterbacks. So I, I would love there to, see, like I just said, I would love to see him go somewhere else. Uh, I'll stay in football. My long haul of the week. Uh, Eric Bieniemy, uh, a lot of reports coming out uh, about him being too harsh on his players at training camp. Um, not much to really say about this. He's a Super Bowl Super Bowl caliber uh, offensive coordinator. Uh, he obviously knows what he's doing. Uh, he gets the best out of his players. It's NFL. They're all men. They're all grown ups. Just a coach being too hard on their players. I just just get over it. Um, he's doing what he needs to do to, to get the best out of his players. And I just think that was just kind of an over exaggeration, you know, an over exaggeration by reporters. Um, one of those reports this time of the year with nothing else is really going on and they have to make a story about something in order to, to make, to make some content. Mm-hmm. Zach, who uh, is your long haul of the week to finish us up? Uh, my long haul of the week is going to be ESPN's NBA coverage. I'm interested to see what they do now with, Jeff Van Gundy being gone, which was a big surprise to me because I think he's probably the best analyst in all of basketball. The one thing Mm -hmm. that ESPN had on TNT was having Mike Green, Mark Jackson, and Jeff Van Gundy, the best three-man booth in all of sports as far as I'm concerned. And now you replace that with Doris Burke and Doc Rivers. Doris Burke's fine, but I think she was better a couple years ago. And Doc Rivers, as we know, I don't know how he's going to be able to talk because you can't ever make his voice out anymore because he's yelled too much. (laughs) So I don't know how he's going to be able to do television. And so 
not only that, like Greenberg's no longer doing NBA countdown. They brought Malika Andrews in to do that, despite not having a whole lot of hosting experience. So yeah. I, I look at TNT, like ESPN has been trying to match what TNT has had for a number of years, and they've just never been able to do it. TNT's yeah. coverage of the NBA Finals blows ESPN away at this point because you got Shaq, you got Barkley, you got Kenny Smith. I think TNT should have more opportunities to air the NBA Finals. ESPN's fine, but it's no longer what it once was. And I don't know what ESPN has on TNT as far as NBA coverage is concerned without their great broadcast team of Green, Van Gundy, and Jackson now. So I'm interested to see what happens when negotiations open back up for the NBA. Like, does do they want to continue to stay with ESPN? Do they give TNT more power? I think they probably will the next time that the negotiations come out. I want to see TNT get the NBA Finals, mostly because I want to watch inside the NBA the entire season. I don't want it to stop after the conference finals. So yeah. ESPN's NBA coverage, long haul of the week, because it's probably going to decline. Barkley's going to be mad, though. He's not going to want to work that late. He's already complains <laughs> when it gets when a ga- when a conference final goes to Game Seven. He's, uh, he, <laughs> he said he was going to retire that. five ten years ago, and he's still never no. done it. No, he it's too. Mm. I mean, he he can't it's retire. Not retirement. He just cannot walk <laughs> away. He's his gig is too good. I mean, he doesn't. I don't think. I mean, this probably isn't true, but it doesn't seem like he does a whole lot of prep for it. Like he just kind of sounds like he just goes off and does his own thing when he's on stage for TNT. Like I don't think. Like, obviously, you know, he has to, you know, there's rehearsals and he has to get there early and all that. But, like, I don't think it's taking up a ton of his time. And I think he does like doing it. And Barkley, like I said, is just one of those players that can just, he, you just put him on a stand and just let him kind of rift and people are just going to absolutely love it. Actually, he's better when he's not scripted. Yeah, no, that's exactly <laughs> right. TNT's yeah. not a scripted, uh, inside the yeah. NBA is not scripted. Charles Barkley, I would listen to him talk about anything, news, weather, basketball, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. Like, I think Barkley mm-hmm. would be more compelling to talk about politics and all the people that are doing it nowadays. So I, I think as much inside the yeah. NBA coverage as we can possibly get. It's not, he's not working. He only yeah. works six months a year and he gets yeah. to talk about basketball. So there's no reason to retire. Yeah. And I think he wants to keep his hand in the arena too. I think he wants to keep his hand in the NBA. But yeah. I mean, just going back to ESPN, uh, I haven't Doris Burke and um, Van Gundy. They, Rivers, they've yeah. done broadcast mm-hmm. before, haven't they? I mean, Doc I, Rivers hasn't done NBA. Well, I know Doc Rivers hasn't, but like Dur- Bur- Burke and, Van Gundy have done broadcast, haven't they? I think they. I I could have swore they have, but not me. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Doris. I like. I actually don't mind Burke at all. Uh, uh, Doris Burke, but um, I I think Doc Rivers is not going to be good. I'm just going to go out and say that I don't think he's going to be good um, uh, broadcasting. He might have been in the past, but like you said, Zach, I think his voice is just so harsh now, and it's not really <laughs> meant for that anymore. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happened, but it, it definitely could be uh, kind of a Yeah, I, th- I don't think he's going to go back into coaching again. That's for I don't sure. Think I think he him. stays in the, with the broadcasting. I yeah, he's getting too old and people, I mean, his success, he just hasn't had success in the playoffs recently. So I, I just oh, don't yeah. think people mm-hmm. are going to really want him. Um, but yeah, good show, guys. Uh, we'll do this again next week. Um, yeah, I think we're working on getting uh, Angelo Cataldi from Philadelphia, um, you know, retired now, but a legend mm-hmm. in Philadelphia radio. We'll get him on next week. So talk some Philly sports. And then, uh, yeah, 
uh, do this all over again next week as well. But yeah, until then, guys, uh, keep on traveling.